Welcome to the Modern Mamas Podcast. We're here to provide a safe space for open dialogue, insights, and anecdotes about empowered pregnancy, labor, delivery, parenthood, and everything in between with zero judgment and open hearts and minds. I'm Jess, a level one CrossFit trainer, a birth fit coach, and a licensed and certified athletic trainer. I have my master's degree in kinesiology, and I am currently studying to be a certified nutrition consultant. I'm the blogger behind Hold the Space Wellness, as well as a mom to two small kiddos. And I'm Laura, a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, birth fit Santa Cruz regional director, and mama to Evie Wilder. I'm also the woman behind Radical Roots, where you'll find recipes, fitness insights, travel tips, consulting, and more. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We are so happy you're here. Hey guys, it's Jess here. I am doing a solo interview today. Laura is taking a little break and going to do some solo interviews herself. Um, But today we have another special, a return special guest. We have Eliza Parker, who you have listened to last week um, about uh, wear parenting. And she kind of introduced to you the bigger picture of what a wear parenting is. And we touched a little bit um, in that episode about crying in arms and um, some concepts and questions that we've gotten from you guys about that topic since we recorded our, our Liz Wolf episode. Um, and so today, because we have so much good information to just pick her brain on, um, and she really is truly an expert, we're going to dive a little bit deeper. We're going to try and get to some lis- listener questions that you guys had for her, but we're going to really talk a little bit more about the concept of crying in arms um, and also how to, uh, you know, talk about aware parenting in relation to sleep, um, and then, like I said, intro- or address some of your listener questions. But for those of you who haven't listened to the episode last week and don't really know who Eliza is, let me give you just a little brief um, introduction to her. Um, she's amazing and just a gentle, very knowledgeable spirit, and I'm so happy to have her on here. Thank you for being on again. Thank you. That was <laughs> my pleasure. Yeah, so um, Eliza is a certified infant developmental movement educator, and we're definitely going to have her back on to talk about some of that stuff, too. She's an aware parenting instructor, a body-mind centering practitioner, a trained Feldenkrais Feldenkrais practitioner. Eliza respects babies as a whole person who enter the world, whole people who enter the world knowing how to communicate, learn, and self-heal within relationships. Her conscious baby practice employs a unique approach to baby-led, I-can-do-it-myself milestone development, as well as attunement to nonverbal cues and crying. Eliza's life-changing perspectives and respectful solutions toward common parenting questions transcend typical parenting advice. Her work addresses babies on the well-baby spectrum and those experiencing challenges such as motor delay, difficulty in tummy time, and hip dysplasia. So essentially, Eliza is just very well-rounded as in terms of baby development as a whole. I'm, I'm looking at her bio and it's just, it's about movement. It's about emotions. It's about just development from the moment they're born, essentially. I mean, you've yeah. made your, this kind of like your life's work, right? I could talk for hours and hours. I know it's amazing. Um, and I know we talked about this in the initial episode, but kind of Briefly, again, tell us, you know, how you got here, why this is a passion for you, um, and, you know, why you, what called you to pursue all of these different um, certifications? So, 
the short story is I was, um, I'm a dancer and I had gone to grad school for dance, but realized I didn't want to be a dance professor. So I went into the realm of somatics instead, which is body stuff. That's my definition. For <laughs> um, so I went to body mind centering from there. Um, so body mind centering is what infant developmental movement education comes out of. And it's about movement um, and movement facilitation, the body systems. It's kind of an alternative approach to health, uh, as is Feldenkrais. But the basis of all that work is infant developmental movement, which includes reflexes and even some stuff around bonding and the developmental patterns. So um, I had started out many years ago nannying and combining that part of the BMC work with nannying. Um, and then along the way, I just started, I picked up Aware Parenting because Elisa's daughter, Sarah, um, I think I told the story mm -hmm. in the, that story in the last episode, but Sarah and I were good friends and that's how I found out about Aware Parenting. Um, so I started using that and just by trying to have a private practice when I first started out with different ages, I just really speak baby. <laughs> um, so I just went in that direction uh, and took that as my focus. That's amazing. That is so, I, like I said, if you haven't listened to the first episode with her, you really need to go back and really listen to, she really dives a lot deeper into, um, you know, the whole background, her whole background and how she got here um, a little bit more in depth. But it's it's really an amazing story, and we're so glad that you did get interested in this stuff. So now we can pick your brain. It's amazing. Um, so, like I said, I mentioned before, today we're gonna kind of shift gears a little bit, or more so transition into some of the the deeper, more specific topics of crying in arms and um, aware parenting in terms of sleep. So I'm gonna we're gonna dive in, unless you have anything else to say, because I feel like this topic oh. might go a little long, <laughs> just given our track record. <laughs> so um, let's dive in, and I know. Did you want to say anything in general about aware parenting before we we work into the crying in arms stuff? Yeah. Okay. I want to um, not so much about general aware parenting. Um, but more general about like why are we doing this? Why are we even talking about this? Because we're gonna we're gonna get into crying in particular and sleep, and once we do that, that can start bringing up stuff for people. It can get really challenging for some people to talk about crying, um, think about crying, especially in relation to babies. And there are lots of reasons for that, which we could talk about later, but. Um, so I want to kind of start out with some perspective around, yeah, why are we even going here? And so if, if you think of what you want for your child, um, that's, kind of, that's a way that I like to frame all this. When I ask this in my classes with babies and parents, one of the biggest responses um, to what do you want for your child, like what foundations do you want to build for him or her? Um, one of the biggest responses is communication skills, so listening and communication skills. And another big one is relationship, bonding, but also relationship skills. 
So if you think of not just your baby, but your child as a person throughout life, um, kind of what do you want? Some other things are confidence and compassion. So that's kind of the container that I see all of the stuff in, the crying, the sleep, all of the, the details we're going to zone in on fit into that larger picture of these foundations that start from the very beginning. Um, and, and also that it's around your baby's or your child's innate capabilities. So um, whenever challenges arise, remember that your baby or your child is a wise being. Um, and there's an underlying need behind challenges, behind any behavior of challenge. So those are the gems that we're fitting all of this under. So. That's amazing. I know Laura's not here today, but we've been talking off, you know, off podcast about some challenges that she's been going through with Evie. Um, not necessarily challenges, but just learning, you know, as Evie gets older and she's able to process a lot more. Um, you know, she has her moments, especially around the holidays where, you know, babies are exposed to lots of stimulus mm-hmm. and new people. And, um, you know, while the baby may, well, Evie, and this is how bare my kiddo was too at this age, you know, while he was okay in the moment, um, or seemed to be mostly okay in the moment, um, when he would get home and this is what's happening with Evie, it was mm-hmm. like, I need to have a release. Like, I need to cry. I need to... It, it was almost like if you really didn't understand what was going on, you were just like, oh my gosh, there's, he started crying and he wouldn't stop. And, you know, once once he stopped crying or once he got it out, he, you know, seemed to be okay. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, he was processing things in a, in a way. And so um, back then I didn't really understand... I thought it was a horrible thing. I tried everything that I could to, like, in my eyes, soothe him, make him less uncomfortable or, you know, try and get him to stop. But it's amazing because Laura has been exposed to crying in arms, and she's just like, we just hold her, and we tell her, you know, we look into her eyes, and we tell her we're here, and I'm just like, Uh. (laughs) it's so beautiful. I wish I could have done that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, so not to digress, but just putting into perspective, you know, um, maybe some things that parents might be going through right now, especially around the holidays, how this could be almost immediately applicable. So um, I want to hear more. So tell us more. That's a great um, segue to kind of sliding down the funnel to also frame crying in arms mm-hmm. um, about why babies cry and one of those things is to release stress or to release overstimulation, to release tensions. And this is where it starts getting, it can seem like it's counterintuitive, but it makes so much sense when you, once you understand it. Um, so, so stress builds up for all of us and babies are no different. Um, but crying is a natural healing mechanism or stress release mechanism for babies that they are born with. Um, and perfect example, stimulation from the holidays or family visiting um, or the lights and scenery. Um, they may need to come home and have a cry. And their need, the authentic underlying need at that point is to let off some steam. But with 
relationship being held and being listened to as opposed to ignored, like, okay, you go off in your own corner or, um, or being ignored, but to really be accepted and allowed. Um, and so, so this is never about leaving a crying baby alone. So please never leave a crying baby alone. <laughs> so this is always based in attachment. Um, but that piece of understanding why babies cry is very important to allowing the crying. Um, so is that the only, one of the only reasons that they do cry for stress release or um, processing? Or are there, I mean, are there other things that we need to be aware of or instances why they would be, need a good cry? Um, so, well, the one category, the the first category that everybody knows babies cry is for an immediate basic needs like hungry, etc. Um, that's that category. The other category is a need to process or release stress or communicate. So within that category, um, it somewhat depends on age. Younger babies will just cry when they need to. Older babies, toddlers, it takes a while to build up. Um, so... Within that category, it could be old stuff that they need to release, like birth mm-hmm. um, or early separation, or it could be in the in the moment or in in that day kind of stuff, like the day's stimulation. Um, and you won't always know. So that's a key point too for parents that if your baby's crying, you are not failing because you cannot always know. There may be times you make a connection, like holiday stimulation, but there may be times that you can't. And the thing is really to trust your baby. Like, your baby won't cry if they don't need to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no, there's no, this is a, this is a shift of perspective too in aware parenting. Babies don't cry for no reason. Right. I think a lot of times, um, just culturally, we're taught to stop crying, which carries with it an assumption that babies will cry for no reason mm-hmm. um, and and the guilt that it carries to or potentially for parents like I can't make my baby stop crying or why is nobody crying I already did everything <laughs> <laughs> I have I've checked every box and they're still crying yep. I'm failing I'll check <laughs> off it's getting longer <laughs> um, yeah so you won't always know that's different from what society teaches us but yeah, your baby is that wise and wonderful. Right. Um, and also, this is not cry it out. I want to say that from the beginning. So we're going to talk about crying, but it's not cry it out. And we can talk later more about that, too. Well, and I, have a, I, I think we talked about this with Liz on her episode, but she kind of mentioned that sometimes it would be, you know, her little one is a little bit older, and so is my, my four-year-old. Well, it'll seem like... You know, they're, they're going okay, everything's great, and then they'll, in, in my words, kind of freak out over something that seemingly is not anything they've ever, that's ever been a problem before. And, you know, I think it, Liz, it was Liz's word. She said, you know, it's, I welcome that. It's some, like they're picking this thing that's frustrating them or whatever to, to kind of stimulate this release. It's not because of, you know, they can't put their shoe on or whatever. It's, all this stuff, like you said, has been building and building and building, and this is the moment where they're just like, I'm going to let this happen. So for, for some parents, it can seem like, oh my gosh, my kid is freaking out over nothing, like it's just a shoe, or it's just 
you know, their sock is on wrong, but to them, it's like they're just taking this opportunity to really get it out. You know, if you can view it as in a positive light, which Liz is always like, yes, I love a good cry. It means like she's working through something. If you can view it in a positive light, I think that shift in perspective can be super super duper helpful. Um, I remember that moment when Liz was talking about that. I can't remember what she said, but she had a great way of saying it. Um, and this, again, is kind of related to ages. The older the baby or toddler, the more it can take a trigger. Mm-hmm. So, And this is a toddler, toddler topic we'll maybe talk more about later. But that's the broken cookie phenomenon where if the toddler broken cookie, they have a tantrum. It's because it's not really about the cookie. It's about it's a pretext. It's a way for them to get to the underlying feelings that are big. So if you can just dive directly to the underlying feelings and not worry about the cookie. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so tell us about this mysterious crying in arms. Like, how do we actually do this? Okay. <laughs> okay. As best as best you can. I know you work with parents one on one, and that's a much like more specific way to coach someone <laughs> through this. But just the general. <laughs> but and it's a good point because the general is so simple in theory. <laughs> right. I know it should be so easy. <laughs> it's not always that easy in real right. life, and um, yeah, and it sometimes there's some personal, specific, individual situations to look at. But but basically. Crying in arms is about when your baby... Um, so let me just say from now on, I'm going to probably mostly say baby, but I also mean, will usually mean toddler or just anytime you're a child. So, okay, so I'm going to say baby. Okay. So it's really about when your baby cries, first meeting needs, of course, hungry, diaper change, needs to be held, etc. But then if there's still crying beyond those needs to allow it and listen. So, so the crying in arms basics are hold your baby in your arms. Um, I'll say a word about mobile babies in a minute, but hold your baby, allow eye contact. So hold your baby in a way that um, allows eye contact. So, so instead of like holding them over their, your shoulder or like you know, not really looking at them. Um, I know, I wish we had a video. (laughs) (laughs) I know that listeners can't see this, but I have my, my demos all. Oh, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Speak it as I do it. I don't know. It makes it probably easier to explain if you're actually doing it physically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of people like to, I mean, it's common, it's a common way and this is not wrong or bad at all. Just, Mm -hmm holding the baby up at the shoulder takes them out of eye contact. So if you, again, look at crying as communication, so again, crying not as for no reason, but as communication, then this makes sense. You're like, yeah, oh, of course, have eye contact available. Um, Your baby won't always make the eye contact. They may have their eyes squeezed shut. Um... But you'll find over time that they will look at you and they might open for a moment and then close their eyes again. But the more you do this and get used to this process, the more you can really see these elements of communication where there's eye contact, there's pause, there's phrasing, there's like, it's crazy. 
amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what do you mean by phrasing? <laughs> <laughs> okay, at times there's not going to be it's just your baby crying, but at times you'll have some magical moments where your baby may cry and then they'll stop, and then you'll look and you you might think oh, good, she's done crying. Yeah. But actually, if you're kind of like, I hear you, thanks for sharing. Is there anything else? And then the baby starts crying again. Okay. So it's kind it's of like... a conversation, kind of? Conversation, yeah. Okay. There's, there's some two ways. So it might seem at first like your baby just needs to cry, cry, let off steam. But over time, when this becomes the way of life, the way of being together, it really becomes this two-way conversation. Um, Very cool. So, um, and the other piece is just allow the cry as long as your baby needs to cry and listen. And you can say things like, I hear you, I love you. You don't need to do anything. So you don't need to feel like you need to use the pacifier or nurse for comfort or bounce or shush or walk, etc. It's really just being present and listening um, to your child. And um, I want to say a couple other things. One about mobile babies. We call it crying in arms to differentiate it from cried out. But... Once your baby is mobile or a, or a toddler, they don't always want to be held. Mm-hmm. So it's not about force holding them, although holding is a thing, but it's kind of a different, um, or it needs, needs more discussion. But um, So the idea of holding, it's kind of like you can hold in more ways than one, mm-hmm. in a sense. So holding is definitely in arms, but if you have an older baby who... Um, isn't wanting to held, be held but will still cry like it wiggles out of your lap but will still kind of look at you and cry you're still in communication and you're still present okay. and often those babies will come back and snuggle in so um, yeah that's okay. there's part of that conversation too so but so, like, in that instance, so say I have Camille, who is 16 months. If she is, doesn't want to be held, I can basically just get on the floor, sit there, like, cross-legged, and just open, basically, and just be as present as I possibly can with her, trying to just let her know through my presence and my words, you know, as needed, that I'm, I'm there for her and that I understand and all that. Yeah. There are some things, because you mentioned some things you can say, what are some things that would not be something that, we, so Laura and I talked about this, things that we say very commonly that is, are not meant in, in a negative way at all, but can maybe not necessarily be, what's the word I'm looking for? You're still trying to get them to stop crying. You know, yeah. like, you're okay, like, yeah. it's okay, or, you know, something <laughs> along those lines that maybe isn't, I don't know. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You said the two biggest ones that I think of, it's okay and you're okay. Uh-huh. Um, I say those all the time and I really <laughs> have to work hard not to do it. It really, it is, it's a repatterning for us. Yeah. It, 
even those of us who are aware and conscious, I went through this whole repatterning thing around that myself. Yeah. Um, just because it's so ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's okay and you're okay still negate what the child is feeling. Um, I've, I had a parent, like sometimes I'll have a parent say, oh, but I want to teach my child that they really are okay. Like it is okay. Mm-hmm. And my perspective on that is that in the moment, in the, in the brain, in the limbic system, which is not the analytical high brain, but the, the limbic emotional system, like that's real time. Whatever emotion your child is feeling is like in the moment, that's what they're feeling. If they're processing something around birth, for instance, it's real fear mm-hmm. or anger or whatever it is. Like, it's no less real than it would have been in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so, even though as grown-ups we know the situation is okay, that's what they're feeling. So, and also the other side to that is that we, that we find that once they get that out and get the feelings out, they will naturally understand or be able to feel their environment. environment. They will sense us. Like they, they, they don't need to be taught in a sense. Mm-hmm. It's okay because it's what they're feeling. And once they work through what they're feeling, then they're present in the moment. Okay. Um, there are some, there are some situations that take more working through like, like, early um, immediate separation after birth some so some traumas can take um, more to work through and depending on the age of the child can take some different approaches to actually help them understand what is going on because sometimes the nervous system will get set up and will read the environment as it's dangerous mm-hmm. and it's, that's kind of a different topic what do you, so, yeah, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but you're actually really intriguing me just because of my own personal situation. My first, I mean, we talked a little bit about Bear last time, um, but there was a pretty um, immediate separation after birth. Like, I had to stay at the birthing center, and he had to be transferred to the NICU with my husband, and um, he subsequently was a very, it was a very difficult postpartum um, situation and you know in my mind it's like he's he's just a difficult baby and that's a terrible way of saying it but he's always been one very emotional very um I know the doctor would term him colicky crying for no reason all that stuff this was all of course pre me being aware of things like this um but you know even to this day he tends to be a little bit more on the emotional side I would I guess is the best way the easiest way I can describe him for people to understand but I mean do they continue to process those things on and on and on or you know yeah so in my experience what I from what I've seen in working with families is that some early stresses and traumas can be healed and it will often take a trigger so, for instance, an early separation, if after the early separation the baby is always held and never separated from the mother, 
it might not actually fully heal, even if you're aware of this crying in arms, because the trigger is going to be separation from the mother. And there's a whole, like, we need to go into that edge. Mm-hmm. So very individual. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but then I also, yeah, so some, some things will be just healed, just like that. They will cry and move on with their lives, and it's amazing. Yeah. Some things it depends on if it gets triggered or not. Mm-hmm. Some things, you know, how as we get older, even like as we get into adulthood and just go through and have relationships, and over time as we grow and understand things, we'll look back on a situation with new insight and be like, oh, that's what was going yeah, on. Totally. Or like, oh, I did this thing then, or, oh, that's what that person was boundary thing going through, yeah. or you back and you process things in new ways. So yes, to also to children can, as they grow, can have, keep having waves of processing. Yeah, as, as their awareness of, grows. So it kind of depends on the situation and when the crying in arms was started and if it was completed or if there's a trigger or et cetera. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So basically the crying in arms, you've kind of laid it out for us in a, in a nutshell. Um, do you have anything else like just caveats about that or anything? So that's how you do it. You just, yeah. Okay. How you do it. You hold your baby and let them cry. (laughs) Cry in your arms. Wow, what a term. (laughs) There's a whole other thing side to this, which is the parents' response. Right. Please talk to us about that. I mean, how the parents that you work with on on an individual basis, how difficult is it for them to, if they haven't been doing this, um, do they ever come back and talk to you about their emotional reactions or how... I mean, they're failures. Maybe they've, they've trying and it doesn't work the first couple of times because of their reaction or how, how does, uh, yeah. ooh, this is so, so meaty. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, so as you're doing this, especially for the first time, you will have questions that is normal. Um, mm-hmm. you're not failing if you tried this and feel like it's not working. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not failing if your baby is still crying. It's This is not the way most of us were raised. And so it's not just about us becoming familiar or parents becoming familiar with the process, with a new approach. It's about confronting our own histories and the feelings that will come up for us when our babies cry. And not only that, but society and generations of not being raised this way. So, it's really an amazing thing to do this, to listen to a baby cry, because you're like, what's the word, you're bushwhacking through centuries of patterning that... So, not only can it be cathartic for your child, but, you know, you may find yourself... What if... Do any parents ever cry while their baby's crying? Because I feel like that's me. (laughs) Yes, you have permission to cry. <laughs> okay. You may need, as a parent, you may need to cry too, especially when you're healing birth stuff. Right. So you get to cry too. And um, 
your baby gets to see you cry. So, and it's not that, you know, you don't need to unload all your stuff for the baby to take responsibility, but there are some shared experiences that people need to cry, you know? um, So the parents' response, yeah, is a big part of this journey. And because it's communication, this whole thing is two-way. And I feel like this is what makes aware parenting a little bit different from some other options. That it's not just one way. It's not a power over or... Um, or even a even a loving like the it's okay thing. It's mm-hmm. it's okay is kind of more of a one way, but mm-hmm. yeah. But this so it's two way. It, I mean, it's funny because in a way, it is it is about the baby. It is kind of all about the baby and the response, and just allow it. But on the other hand, it's your relationship with the baby too. Yeah, right. it's how you're establishing essentially the base the foundation of your relationship with your child are you telling them that you're there and it's like I mean you're telling them by your presence that that it's okay I guess not necessarily with your words like it's okay to feel all these feelings and um all that stuff and and Mm -hmm. telling them that you can communicate you're essentially opening up those lines of communication early on I mean my husband and I talk about it all the time you know what we want for our kids when they're teenagers you know do we want them to like shut the door and never talk to us about anything. No, we, we want to hear about the things that they're going through because that's such a like tumultuous time. And so it's essentially when we think about what we're doing now, it's just, we want those lines of communication to always feel open. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the beautiful. I often say like your baby's crying. You can think of as similar to your teenager coming and talking to you. So sometimes um, if this crying piece, parents, if the parent didn't know to open this crying piece or to allow it, the baby can start feeling like they can't share their honest feelings. And that patterning or that foundation can just spread on through. And then you have a teenager who doesn't want to come talk to you. Um, those, those connections do happen. Yeah. So, but um, But the parent's response, so... As far as the baby's concerned, unless there's a medical concern, the baby is fine crying, and sometimes it can be a really long cry. And some parents, when I say that, will be like, oh, five or ten minutes, that's so long. And I'll be like, no, it can go for an hour. (laughs) You're like, you're just going to want to park yourself down. (laughs) Get comfortable. But, But at the same time, so where I'm saying it's about the baby is that piece. Yeah. Like, it's okay for the baby and they need to get that stuff out. On the other hand, if as a parent, you've got personal work too, like, like sooner or later, I don't mean that judgmentally. I mean that sooner or later, this usually will bring us to our walls or hit our stuff. So if as a parent, you are listening to your baby and you hit some anxiety for yourself or, you know, it's just not, it's not familiar. It's not, popular in our culture to do this so if you get anxious scared your baby's going to feel that so there are some times to actually stop the crying do the work you need to do go talk to your partner about what you're feeling or figure out like what's coming up for you or get a memory of your own childhood and then go back to your baby later yeah yeah well I mean Laura and I also share openly about our experiences with therapy and you know that's it could be a very 
a great stimulus for you to seek out someone professionally to kind of talk through some of those issues because it's like I'm 30, I'm about to be 34 and I still have things that I'm like just getting started with issues that I never got the chance to work through, you know, because again, no, not a knock to like my parents or anything like that. They did the best they could, but this just wasn't something that they were doing, practicing, you know, so absolutely. I really feel like babies are healers and they're, they have this healing mechanism for themselves. but anyone in their wake who is part of their lives, who's listening to them also has this invitation to bring healing. So, that's, yeah. that's beautiful when you really think about it. Um, oh, I wanted to ask you, I know we've talked about, I think it was Liz um, again, but she said, you know, they've done scientific studies and, and like looked at the component of like a baby's tears when they're crying and there's actual like stress hormones being present in the in baby's tears is that you know something that you've come across like that's a a literal release of stress hormone yeah Elisa talks about some of that in her book the aware baby um but yeah it's that crying physiologically can actually release some of the stress chemicals from the body. And this is where it's really different from cry it out. So cry it out, the biggest concern usually that parents have about crying in general is that isn't that stressful for babies. So crying alone is stressful, like absolutely yes. This is not an opinion, like this also is... (laughs) Science-based, yeah. Yes, it is stressful. And that's when the stress chemicals stay in the body. So it, they, like stress keeps getting generated when they're alone crying. Crying in arms, in relationship, being held and loved and accepted and listened to as communication, completely different, releases stress. Right. And you can see this in the physiological. That's amazing. Um, go ahead. Before we go to sleep, (laughs) before we go (laughs) night-night, one last thing about just crying in arms in general, now that we've kind of talked about that, um, when your baby cries, what do you do? Like if you kind of look at the pattern, so most parents will have, um, if they're not familiar with the way of parenting already, will have something that they do to stop the crying. Mm -hmm. So... It might be a pacifier or nursing for comfort, um, by which I mean not for hunger, but yeah. um, or um, shushing or bouncing, etc. So, Elisa, um, who's the originator of Aware Parenting, Aware Parenting calls those control patterns okay. because they're controlling the emotions. Um, so again not a judgment, but just to look at what you do. Like, what do you tend to do when your baby cries um, beyond immediate needs? So those control patterns are your doorways to the cry. So when I say um, allow, hold your baby, allow them to cry, and that you don't need to do anything like use the path for your nurse comfort, those are the control patterns. So um, also a lot of times parents will say, but my baby never cries. Um, but they might still be using one of these things. So the key question there is, what would your baby do if you didn't use the pacifier or if you didn't nurse for comfort or if you didn't bounce, et cetera? Um, and usually the answer is they would cry, and that's, that's 
the crying is a stress release. Right. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Good clarification. Okay, so talk to us about sleep because... I think this is where it can get a little confusing and people are thinking, okay, if my, if it's 3 a.m., my baby's having to cry, do I need to like turn on the lights and look her in the, the eyes and like talk to her? Like, how do I, how does this work? I'm so <laughs> intrigued. Okay. Um, so in answer to that question, one answer is, well, you don't, well, you don't have to answer that question specifically. <laughs> okay. Why don't you just, I'm sure it'll kind let's of go. Okay. Yeah, let's back up. Just talk okay. to us about how all this works into sleep. Okay. So another thing about crying in arms in general that's going to take us directly there is that common effects of a cry. So meaning if your baby goes through the whole cycle of getting really intense, getting the cry out, um, a full cycle of a cry release the baby will then be able to stop crying on their own. And commonly two things, one of two things happens. Either they fall asleep on their own, meaning you might still be holding them, but meaning you don't have to do something to put them to sleep. Right. So they'll either fall asleep or stay awake, but really serene and content. Um, this kind of depends on age too. But um, So one of the common effects of having a big cry is falling asleep. So this takes us directly into sleep. Um, why crying so often comes up around sleep, I want to come back to age here pretty soon too, but um, age that you can start this, so I'm going to say that in a sec. But okay. why sleep and crying are connected because your baby innately knows that in order to sleep, um, they need to be able to relax fully. Just like if you think about, like for us, what, what happens for you if you, if something's on your mind at bedtime or if you had a stressful day, how do you sleep? Oh, yeah. How do you sleep? Um, for me, I am a thinker, and if something is on my mind, man, I will wake up and just think. And there's something weird about the middle of the night where <laughs> what you're thinking about just becomes this, like, giant, enormous... Thing. Well, yeah, because you, you can't distract yourself with your phone or with, you know, doing other tasks. It's like, okay, you're there in your bed with your thoughts. Like, don't <laughs> think about every single thing that you can possibly think about right now. So, so similar for babies, they need a way to relax, and, um, except that I feel like babies are closer to their innate natural patterning, and they, they just we'll have a cry to let it out mm -hmm. <laughs> whereas we've learned all these things yeah so tired when babies are tired when any of us are tired we're more vulnerable and so when your baby is more vulnerable that's when the feelings start bubbling up um so that's why crying often happens around sleep so a lot of people will say babies cry because they're tired and I will say, actually, it is linked because of this. But they don't—they won't cry because they're tired. Like the, the answer to being tired is to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. When they're crying, it's because being tired brings up this other stuff. The, right. the feelings start arising, and that's what—that's why you're getting the crying. Right. Um, 
So, so if your baby cries before sleep or at any other time, it's a gem. <laughs> I guess yeah. you just be thankful. <laughs> I know it doesn't feel like it, but right, it's an opportunity. I know it feels really hard, and yeah. you're but it's really a gem because your baby trusts you and wants to talk to you and communicate. Oh, that's <laughs> um, such a beautiful way. Doorway into their feeling. Yeah, it's a beautiful bonding moment. So. Yeah. Um, I want to, before we go too far, talk about age okay. to begin this sweet stuff. Um, number one, for starters, no matter what the age, and regardless of what I'm about to say about age, if you have a gut feeling, that's when. Okay. Um, if you have a gut feeling about something's off or you're questioning sleep or um, whatever, that's a good time. So... With crying in arms, you can start from the very beginning. Aletha recommends making sure feeding is, very, is well established, whether it's nursing or bottles, so that you know that your baby is getting fed. Right. Um, although sometimes I have had some families where crying before feeding helps them feed. Right. But yeah, but just as a newborn, you need to know that your baby is able to feed. Yeah. But Aside from that, yeah, this can begin at the beginning. There's no age to start crying in arms, and there's no age to start the sleep work. It's just um, this, this piece. It can start from the beginning. Um, a it, lot of... Okay. I was just going to say, is it, it can kind of be hard in the newborn phase because they eat so much, and they need to eat so much, and people, I think they might get confused, like nursing for comfort versus nursing for nutrients the lines are very blurred in yeah. that newborn phase and that's just that to me is normal I mean correct me if I'm wrong I mean I know both of my kiddos went through phases where extended nursing was something that they would do like they were on the the breast for like 30 minutes to an hour at a time so how do you and you talk to parents about that concept and also yeah, there's again. There's there are more factors like how your baby, how nursing is going. Mm-hmm. If there's stuff about the mouth or the tongue, um, or the throat, or like development, um, food. There are still layers here, but yeah. if you're pretty confident that your baby is getting a good feed all at once, and they're crying, then go for the crying in arms. Right. If you feel uncertain. As a newborn, there's no rush. Yeah. Um, your baby will try to release it. If it doesn't come out now, it'll come out later. Mm-hmm. So as a new mother, it's like, again, it's two-way, you know, support the baby, but it's not about ignoring the mother. Right. So you need to know that you're comfortable with your baby's feeding. Um, so, so as a newborn... And how I feel like how right yeah um, kind of the signals like if it's your first baby and you're just getting used to reading a baby's signals then it's okay to feed we'll work it out right. later right um, but yeah but if you're feeling pretty confident then your baby may need to have a cry right and that's where I I love that you're sharing this information with us but it's like anything we talk about nutrition or therapy or um 
you know, mindfulness work or um, training, it's like we can give the most general recommendations as a, as a guideline, as a starting point, but it's, you know, working with people one-on-one individually, that's where you get to kind of work through all the nuances and um, take into consideration, you know, all the many multifacets that I'm sure it goes, goes into all of this stuff too. So I love that you actually do work with parents one-on-one. So Definitely. Just yeah. leading into these general recommendations, people should probably <laughs> understand that. But this is these are very general. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, tell us. So also, um, a lot of parents will, about age, again, a lot of parents will, t- I, I hear a lot of them say, we're going to wait and see. We're going to wait till our baby's a little older. We're going to wait and see what her rhythms are. We're going to wait until she establishes some patterns. And this is where, like, see this aware parenting approach to sleep as very different from sleep training. So, and this is where it's like, if you wait until the habits are established, then it can actually be harder because, because what this approach is, it's about the internals being able to sleep because your baby is internally, because she's sleepy based on her own internal cues versus what some sleep training approaches do based on externals, mm-hmm. timing, schedule, have the light just right, the temperature, the swaddle, the sound machine, etc. So because it's based on the internal cues and the communication, um, ideally you want to build up the foundation as soon as possible. I mean, as soon, from the beginning, mm-hmm. but, but hand in hand with when you're ready. So it's like, there is a shift that kind of changes around nine or 10 months where getting the cry out changes. It's a little easier before that point. And that's actually when a lot of parents wait until. Yeah. So on one hand, do it before that point so you can set up the healthy foundations. On the other hand, if you're at that point or you waited until that point, now is like whenever whenever you decide or whenever you're ready is the perfect timing so right it just may you may have just more uh, unique challenges at that point is what you're saying um it may not be as easy as oh I'm just gonna hold my baby while they cry and they're gonna fall asleep (laughs) (laughs) darn it (laughs) okay Um, but it's not yeah so you mentioned too about the external cues and stuff um you know we talk a lot about that here on the podcast just from a scientific perspective sleep as an adult you know what you know things like a darkened room or white noise and um, the temperature and stuff like those are actually very necessary for adult sleep um, in general to happen for you to transition from awake to a sleep state they also trigger like certain hormone releases for your body to kind of ease into that sleep state um, can you still, can you match external things that you're doing? You're not saying ignore those things. You're saying to kind of marry them. So you can't just have external cues without the internal work. Yeah. Being done. Beautifully said. Um, yeah. So it's not about ignoring those things, but if we could distill everything out, I think the, like the core of what I'm looking for is that your baby is able to fall asleep when she's sleepy. 
not because everything external is just right. Right, right. Um, now that said, if you have a highly sensitive baby, those things might matter more, the lights and the stimulations. Um, Sorry, I was just going to say, I feel like from a personal perspective, my son, we didn't start even trying to, to look at sleep with him until, like you said, around like eight or nine months. At that point, he was so aware um, that if there was light in the room, he just like, it's just now he's just taking in his environment and it's like, he's not, you know what you're saying? Like he was much more highly sensitive you yeah. know, to where he would hear like a pin drop in the other room and like sit up, you know? Yeah. So definitely think it's individual. Whereas my daughter, she's much more laid back and she can kind of more fall asleep in different environments. It doesn't, it's not all about like having the perfect environment for her, which Again, we've talked about it on the podcast. I have two completely different experiences mm-hmm. um, in terms of like those develop those early developmental ages. So, I'm so I would, you, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I would say that okay, and, and sometimes there will be highly sensitive babies where some of that stuff matters more. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, on the other hand, there is a way to like if you can if you plug this in pretty early, that you can raise a baby and a toddler who can fall asleep like anywhere, anytime, any light, whatever, because they're sleepy. Um, like lying where the wind lie on the floor in the middle of the sunlight on them. Like, yeah. So there's, uh, and then, and then on a third hand, I don't have three hands, but anyway, uh, <laughs> and the whole nother thing is sometimes the sensitivity is related to the early trauma. Mm-hmm. So if the nervous system is, um, is on alert around something that hasn't been processed and healed, then that will relate to the high sensitivity, which relates to they can't sleep unless it's dark. But sometimes you'll have a sensitive baby who can't sleep unless it's dark. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so individual. Oh, my goodness. That's um, incredible. Yeah. So, so sleep. So the good news is that babies already know how to sleep. Um, and this is also where aware parenting and my personal perspective can be pretty different from what parents are taught so often, mm-hmm. um, that like we need to teach babies sleep, et cetera. Um, but I would say, I would say that babies already know how to sleep. They come in like it's survival. We have to sleep mm-hmm. survival. And really what we find is that the piece that's missing in all of that information is the crying for stress release as it relates to being able to relax enough to sleep deeply. But if they can get that out, um, like again, the way to meet the need for being sleepy is to sleep. The way to meet the need to get the stress out so they can relax is to get the stress out being listened to and loved. So that's how those things get kind of intertwined. Um, but, and yeah, and the, the number one reason babies don't sleep well that I find is that thing about um, needing to be able to relax and needing to let off some steam. Yeah. And there are, there are some other factors like food, being truly hungry, um, motor development, not getting enough movement or exercise, um, some of that stuff. But really kind of usually the core number one reason is this stress release need. Right. So what about when 
I mean, I'm just thinking about my my own experiences. So say it is, you know, say it's not the falling asleep because we have a lot of, of uh, listeners that, you know, it's like my baby goes to sleep just fine, but they wake up an hour later or two, or they wake up every hour for the rest of the evening, um, you know, crying. And what do I do? You know, like, you, again, what we've learned, you know, is like blue light. You don't want to like flip the light on and like go in there and like stimulate them, you know, in, to a certain extent with that hormonal response. But like and from the crying in arms perspective, how do you address that? Um, yeah, and so we're finally getting down to, like, the answers that parents have been trying to get right. listening to this entire two podcast. <laughs> They're like, just answer my question, <laughs> ladies. <laughs> um, yeah, so your baby wakes up at night. Okay, there's still kind of a complicated answer, because if a parent is nursing, if nursing is the, the habit, mm-hmm comfort nursing, then there's going to be some tweezing, teasing apart of, is it hunger versus is it a need to really stress? Mm -hmm. But the basic general idea is, yep, if your baby wakes crying in the middle of the night, just let him cry, hold it, be there with him. Now, another complicated thing is the crib, um, which I won't go into detail right now, but the crib itself can be a source of stress. So we kind of have to figure out is the crib triggering like an early separation process mm-hmm. or is the crib itself stressful? Actually, I find that <laughs> the crib usually is stressful, but um, some parents are able to work with it. But yeah, so, so again, that depends too on kind of what the whole scenario is individually. But um, Well, let's look at this listener question. She says she has a, we're kind of going out of order here, but since we're on a topic, she says she has a seven month old who still wakes up every two hours to eat all night long. They co-sleep and they nurse to sleep for naps and bedtimes. Um, She's, her question is how long do I let him cry for? She said she always feels bad. She always feels bad and ends up nursing anyways as a means to get him back down. So, yeah. Yeah. So the constant eating, the, um, the, the waking every two hours or constant nursing all night is typically related, again, to that need to cry. So um, nursing to sleep for naps and bedtime. Okay, so the question about how long to let him cry, the answer is as long as he needs to. <laughs> um, is this a boy? He. Did she say he? Yeah, him. Um, so as, who's, of course, a month older now, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, to, for as long as he needs to. And again, there's the topic of the parent's journey with it. But anyway, as long as he needs to. The thing is, sometimes questions, as you, as you can put this into place, sometimes questions will just go away on their own. Mm-hmm. Because, what am I trying to say? If you're, it's very easy as a new parent doing this for the first time to feel like, oh my gosh, is it going to be an hour-long cry every time he wakes up, like for the rest of his life? Mm-hmm. And the answer is that's what might need to happen at first, or some of those times at first, but it won't always be like that. Um, so, and also I would back up. So from the all-night crying, I also like to funnel what crying we can into the daytime or pre-sleep. Mm-hmm. So when you said um, sometimes babies 
fall asleep easily, but it's the night waking. Um, well, the question there is to look at how are they falling to sleep. In this mm -hmm. case, um, probably nursing to sleep. Nursing sleep. That's the key right there. If she's nursing to sleep, and then there's likely likely the nursing is taking place of some of the emotion bubbling up and having the cry. So then it means that that cry and those feelings get funneled later into the middle of the, of the night when they wake up. Right. So that's when you so want to look. trying to kind of navigate the release, kind of like Liz was saying, she's happy when a cry happens during the day or whatever, like during playtime, because it's like she's getting some of that release that, that she might need. Um, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you think about it from an adult perspective, I mean, sometimes you just need to cry. And like, you know, maybe it's not crying for us. Maybe it's a different method of stress release. But I know personally, if I work out or if I do yoga or if I have meditation during the day, um, if I feel like I have gotten some sort of outlet to deal with like all those thoughts like you were mentioning, or if I wrote them down instead of like carrying them with me, like that isn't a, a way an adult can really stress. I sleep much better, you know? Um, if I don't, it's like I'm tossing and turning all night. I'm like processing things throughout sleep. Um, yeah. And so it, it really is very similar. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of spooky, like once you realize how similar it is, you're like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> well, babies can't go take a yoga class. I mean, they can't like... They don't know how to meditate. They can't. This is their only way of really releasing. Find the emotional release. It's crazy. You really think, you really think about it. Yeah. Um, and this is a great. Just have some status. Do you have status? Oh, no, I feel okay. Can you hear me okay? I'm okay. Um, so, yeah, this, this question is a great kind of way to look at how do you implement the crying in arms around sleep? So, before bedtime, before nap time or bedtime, whenever it's about to be a sleep time, start noticing, well, there's a way to kind of back it up. Like at sleep time, is there something that you're doing to put the baby to sleep? And if so, what would your baby do if you didn't do that thing? Mm -hmm. If the answer is cry, that's where you do it. You just hold your baby and let him cry. Mm -hmm. Um you can, as you get familiar with it, you can take steps backwards and start looking at ahead of time, like before sleep time, when does your baby start getting fussy? Does your baby, if you have an older baby, start getting hyper or busy or frustrated at something that's not normally frustrating? Those are all cues of stress or tension or feelings bubbling up. So... Sometimes you can start at that point and just kind of say, hey, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. You need to cry, I'm listening. Um, or just like sit with the, with the fussing. So a lot of times, like if something's getting frustrating for a baby, a lot of parents will have the urge to fix it. But if it's pre-sleep time, especially if you're having some challenges, it's like actually... Don't try to fix it. Just let the fussing bubble up and let it build into a cry. And, it, it, you know, just hang out and be there for a while and let it build up. That's, um, I know we're really kind of focusing more on, like, infant, but it's very, that's, that's powerful to me for my four-year-old because he's definitely one of those kiddos that's, like, 
we do a bath time before bed and then we all get our pajamas on together like him and his sister and he is insane <laughs> like bouncing off the walls like you know all over his sister wanting to hug her and like we're constantly having to kind of like referee and like try and get him to like calm down and sometimes it escalates into like us having to be like very firm with him but now if I can just taking what you're saying and applying it to him talking to him to him about it or asking him like is there something like because he can we can communicate now he's four it's like now it's maybe not as much that he wants to cry maybe he just wants to tell me about something that's bothering him um or maybe he does need to cry but like maybe he just doesn't get that opportunity and so I think that's powerful I I can immediately start implementing that tonight and kind of see see what happens (laughs) and I've I wouldn't want to say anything particular to your child without kind of meeting him and kind of listening to him. But sometimes whatever the early patterning is, like in your case, there was an early separation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, sometimes that's kind of like sleep is kind of a separation Mm -hmm. in a sense. Um, Because they're falling asleep. So it can bring up those early feelings. And so if you've gone on for a while and you kind of have this pattern established where the anxiety comes up, or at least as a baby, it was the anxiety. And then as a four-year-old, it's just, it can become just what was the habit. It can be related to that. Um, Yep. Or um, just in general, not related to any specific trauma, but also just in general, the business. So hyperness, yeah, can be can be a signal, a cue of some tension. That's amazing. I love oh. it. Um, um, about so, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. We're kind of getting off topic a little bit. Bring us back in. <laughs> okay. So there's before sleep. There's ways to get to the cry before sleep. Mm-hmm. For some families, still, even if they try to do that, the baby falls asleep, but then they wake up. So then there's ways to have a cry overnight. Um, And once, I would say, if this is very new, you've never done this before, you might want to have some light on so you can have eye contact. But over time, you and your baby are going to know each other, Mm -hmm. trust each other in this way. And after you've built that trust, um, it's just there. And so baby wakes up, maybe you don't need to turn on the light. Right. Um, Even though I said have eye contact. So... Um, so one scenario overnight is just that they wake up and cry or don't cry, depending. Another nighttime scenario is constant night nursing. And the constant night nursing, again, is, um, if you think back to the control patterns examples and nursing for comfort being one of those habits of how to stop the cry that just kind of turns into a habit and kind of builds builds onto itself. That's a point where, so there's different, depending on, depending on the child and the parent and how the habit's been established. um, Sometimes when there is a nursing for comfort habit or a pacifier, it can be easy in a way, easier in a way, if there's constant night nursing or constant pacifier, because all you have to do, so to speak, is not give the nursing or the 
pacifier and then they'll have a cry. Right. Um, cool. And again, depending on age. Yeah, so, well, that's a listener question. Um, kind of related to that, they have a three-month-old that sleeps in the parents' room in a bassinet. Um, she puts him down asleep or drowsy, but he always wakes up fussing because his pacifier falls out. Yeah. Her question is, should we leave it out and let him put himself back to sleep? Does he think it's a game? Should I keep putting it back in for him? He only uses it when, it, when he's going to sleep. Bed time routine starts at 8. He usually gets up at least t- 2 to 10 times in the hour and then eventually goes to sleep by 9.30 and sleeps great through the night. So a lot of information there. Um, I think I know what you're going to say on, in some of these answers, but I'm really intrigued. So what, what yeah. are your thoughts? So you okay. mentioned the pacifier, essentially taking it away, but specific to this case, I'm sure a lot of people have something very similar. So, yeah, generally the pacifier is taking the place of what would be a release cry. Mm-hmm. So I would say for starters, go ahead and have the cry before the baby goes to sleep. Mm-hmm. Because then with that, the common effect of having a big cry is that they'll fall asleep on their own. So then, um, so having the cry is the gateway to falling asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that could go lots of different directions overnight um, if he's used to the pacifier. But as far as, yeah, that's where, like, if it falls out, go in and let him have a cry. Regarding letting him put himself back to sleep, again, it depends on how long the habit's been established. If he, if it's like, it falls out, he kind of wakes up, turns over, and falls asleep, mm-hmm. let him fall asleep. If yeah. he fusses or cries, go get him, let him have a cry, because yeah. that's probably what was underneath the past fire in the first place. Um, I have a question kind of related to this. Our, I mean, Camille, she is a thumb sucker, and she only sucks her thumb at night. Um, she never, not even when she's sleepy, like, during the day, does she suck her thumb. She, it's just something that she's done since she was little. Um, obviously, we can't, like, stop her from doing that. Um, but she sometimes will wake up, even at 16 months, and she'll wake up, and I, cause she's still in our room in her crib beside our bed. And, um, obviously I can hear her, but it's like, she's kind of, she's not crying, but she's, she kind of goes, ah, ah, like kind of like yells out and she'll do that for like one to five minutes. Um, and it, she always like puts herself back to sleep. It's not like a crying or it doesn't feel like there's any sort of like, it's almost like she just wants to talk at like 3 a.m. Um, so what do you do in those instances? I mean, as a parent, my instinct is like, I don't want, if she's only going to fuss for like a few seconds, like I don't want to go in and pick her up and then like wake her up. You know what I mean? Because sometimes it's like, she even sounds like she's asleep a little bit. Um, so is there any sort of in between where you're just kind of waiting to see like what happens? So this is where toddlers can be really different from babies. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't say this when I was talking about ages, but kind of around, I said something about 10 months, but especially around 12 to 15 months or so, mm-hmm. it starts getting, it can start getting harder for your for the child to just cry. Mm-hmm. So then it takes a little more, or it takes the broken cookie or whatever to get the cry out. So in your case, I would approach it a little differently and look at some other stuff before answering that question. 
I know it's so aggravating because parents are always like, just tell me what to do. <laughs> and I'm just, but, but it's, uh, we got to look at all these things. Yeah. Sorry, so, we're going to have to dig a little bit deep. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that I see sleep and aware parenting kind of puts sleep in this bigger perspective where it's about underlying needs, stress release, communication, relationship. So it's not just the easy to-do list. It's kind of like, let's go out and get the whole picture and then we can zoom back in Mm -hmm. because I can't quite answer what you should do at that point because I don't know the other history or like what she does day or or play ideas. It's like, there's all these other things. Right. It's like, on one hand, it is as simple as your child cries, let them cry. Yeah. Yeah, Like, it's that simple. On the other hand, it's not always that simple. Right. Right. Oh. (laughs) So, basically, I'll be contacting you, and we'll do some work together. (laughs) No, okay, sorry. I I totally always get on tangents. I just am so fascinated in thinking about stuff from a personal perspective. It's so funny, because I get a lot of questions, because I share my experience and it just seems like a lot of people are in very similar um, places. And I feel like, you know, if I have this question, probably a lot of people have a similar question. So I just go ahead yeah. and ask, but yeah. we get in the weeds a little bit. So did you, do you feel like you've hit a lot of like general stuff about crying in arms? Do you want to hit anything else there? And then maybe we can answer any of the, the infant questions that we have left. Um, yeah, I, I don't have anything else at the moment to okay. say. Oh, I had a question, um, kind of looking at some of the topics that we were going to discuss. What does, you mentioned it, what does fighting sleep really mean? Like, people will say, oh, she's just fighting sleep, like, she won't (laughs) go down, I know she has to sleep, like, what, what to you, like, what's your explanation of that? Ah, that's a good one. Usually, it's the emotion or the stress that is being fought, so two ways to say this. If you feel like you're having to do something to put your baby to sleep or get your baby to sleep, it's usually the emotions you're putting to sleep, not the baby. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that your emotions, her emotions are separate from her. Yeah. But, um, again, like if you distill your baby and sleep and take out the emotion thing, if there were no stress or emotions in life, (laughs) (laughs) um, your, or they had processed through them, a sleepy baby will literally just fall asleep. Right. Um, in typical development, typical situation. Gotcha. So, um, so like when I had to bounce my baby on a um, yoga ball and run the hairdryer to get him to sleep for like hours, that, that was. That was, that was probably yeah. not the best thing to do. Not, <laughs> well, I'm not saying that parents that are, do, having, are in that moment and feel like they're doing that. Like, I know a lot of people that are like, yeah, I had to wear him in the ergo and, like, rock <laughs> back and forth for an hour to get him to fall asleep. It's yeah. more just being aware that, like, it's not about that the baby doesn't want to sleep. It's just there as other things that need to be addressed. And, like, hence so, why you're talking about crying in arms. Yeah. yeah. So what looks like fighting sleep is the emotion coming up like that's you're you're seeing visibly the emotion or stress that's trying to come out before they fall asleep right 
and the difference is like Elisa explains this too in her books there's expressing the emotion and there's acting on the emotion and you'll see this especially with toddlers where if there's hitting or biting say that's acting on the emotion what you want to do is bridge to expressing the emotion Mm -hmm. so for a baby what looks like fighting sleep is actually like you could also say this as the baby knowing they need to cry but actually fighting the urge to let it out because they've learned not to in some cases um or they they're not sure if it's safe or parents don't have this information yet so this is not a judgment um it's just what what's being fought well two things what looks like fighting is yeah is the actual stress or emotion which doesn't always look pretty yeah but powerful or and or you're seeing them fight the urge to let it out if that hasn't been something established in your home right so so babies man they learn early they learn so early these patternings around when it's safe to be honest and cry and so that's that's why we want to look at all this stuff because that patterning can set in. Yeah, and that's that's also fascinating too because it's. I think we mentioned this in the last episode where, um, with both of my kiddos, they they went to daycare early on at like um, twelve weeks, and all of my um, daycare providers have always said they're such great kids. They never cry. They're so great. They're always happy. And obviously they're around other kids. There are things there that are stressful. They're separated from me. And it's like, okay, why are they not more upset there? And Mm -hmm. it's like the moment that I get them (laughs) and we get home, it's like, "Ah!" you know, it's just like a completely different child. And I'm like, why is this? They're an angel at school, but they're just like crazy at home. And, you know, my daycare lady, bless her. She is like the best ever. She's just like, it just means that they are comfortable and that they know it's okay to like, let it out with you at, at school or at home. It's like, it's not necessarily, I don't want to say it's not a safe place. They love their school, but it's just not the same. They don't feel. Yeah. Yeah. And that started early on, you know, it was early with Camille at three months and Bear at three months when they started going to daycare. So it's crazy. Yeah. True. Um, we have one more listener question, I think, in terms of like the infant stuff. Um, yeah. And this one's kind of complex. So um, do you want to tackle it? Yeah. That's six the- week old? Okay. So this listener says she has a six week old that has horrible gas. Nothing is working. She's tried all the dietary changes, et cetera. It's really dis- disrupting his sleep. He spends a lot of his sleep time grunting and writhing, which means she doesn't sleep well either. Any tips on how to improve his sleep or best practices given the added layer of gassy issues? And I feel like this is just super common, uh, more and more so. I hear about it all the time. Yeah. Um, what, what were so, your thoughts on those? This one definitely is more complex. So I want to say that um, in some cases, the gas is true. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not meant to call any parents liars at all. Yeah. But, yeah, in some cases it's true, and in some cases it's not gas, it's the emotion. Let me speak to the true part, um, which you can probably speak to so much more even. But, man, yeah, our digestive systems these days 
and the food source, like it's just not the same. And babies are coming in really sensitive now, sensitive souls. And like, it matters what they eat. And yeah, and I'm, I've just in the last couple of years, even seen more gut challenges, et cetera. So there's that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's it, again, it's a really complex issue, and there's no judgment around this. But it, scientifically, you know, if you were given, um, you know, say you tested positive for group B strep and you had to go on antibiotics during labor, you know, your baby's getting those, and so guts, your gut flora initially is compromised, and it's a lot of that. It's a lot of, um, you know, and again, not to to impart any judgment on you know c-section or anything like that but there's things that happen when your baby is delivered through the vaginal canal that also helps establish a healthy gut and digestive tract and so um it's it's very complex um and i think that's why we're seeing more and more of it is a i think we're just more and more aware of how it all interplays um but b yeah there's a lot of other things like you said the food sources that that, yeah. you know, we're, we're eating and then therefore our kiddos are getting exposed to through breast milk if you're nursing, things of that nature. So it's, it's super complex. But um, your take is that sometimes it is gas, true gas. Yeah, sometimes it is that. Yeah. And then sometimes, yeah, we find sometimes that gas can often be assumed. It's like <laughs> I kind of use this jokingly sometimes. But it's kind of true. It's like when you go through the list of needs, when you're checking needs, when your baby's crying, it's like, your baby's hungry. No, it's gas. No, they're sleepy. No, it's gas. No. <laughs> um, it's like, if you don't know what else it is, it's probably it's it's gas. gas. <laughs> <laughs> and if the answer is always it's gas, but maybe it's really not actually gas, yeah. then in that case, the answer is probably the baby needs to have a cry. Yeah. This scenario seems a little more complex um but I will also say either way whether it's gas or not the emotion is real mm-hmm. around it so the cry will generally help mm-hmm. um any discomfort because the cry there's this interesting thing it's like because we're whole beings babies are whole people and our emotions are so connected to our physiology in some ways like the cry release is a release Mm -hmm. and often after they release they will take in more in some way like they'll have a leap in motor development or they start socially interacting more or they need to eat because it's like it, it's all a release and then it's all nourishment. And so sometimes when there's digestive stuff, if you zoom out from the crying and emotion and look at nourishment and the different ways of nourishing and releasing, sometimes the emotional cry will make room for the, the physical body to heal itself. Right. And because if you're holding, and again, it's, People's patterns, people have different ways that they hold tension, that we hold tension. And so if our, some people hold it in their digestive system. And so you release the emotion and the digestive works better. 
that's not a, so like in some cases that'll help and in some cases there will still be gas right so right it's like use a combination of using the crying in arms to help sleep but also work with a somebody nutritionist or naturopath or whatever to yeah. get the support you know yeah, that's really, it's like you said, we don't know a ton about this whole, the whole scenario. We don't know what their birth experience was like. We don't know, you know, if they're nursing, it doesn't say, yeah, nursing or if they're using formula or anything like that. I mean, there's, like you said, it's very multi-layered. Um, but I think what you pointed out is, you know, some people, when they process stress, it's, you know, it can affect their, or they don't process stress, it can affect their your digestion. And it's like, of course it does. Like, think about adults. It's like, if you're depressed, you don't want to eat. Or if you're stressed or anxious, like, chances are you're going to be having some sort of, like, IBS, like, symptom. Yeah. Or a lot of people manifest stress through, like, IBS-type stuff. Yeah. Um, it's just so and fascinating. If you look at, like, the embodied equivalent of the large intestines letting go, mm-hmm. um like the the psychophysical or emotional counterpart to physically letting go is letting go right really emotionally so that's crazy <laughs> and and the small intestines are about um assimilating nourishment taking it in assimilating using the nourishment so if a baby is stressed and kind of having to use their energy to shield that or to manage the stress, then yeah, it may directly affect physiology. So, um, but also like, I don't necessarily assume that because there's a certain issue or because, or that certain things are related, like often the psychophysical piece is there, but at the same time, there might be like, there might be a food. Yeah. There might be something like literal, Physical. Like this is causing this issue, and it's not. Yeah, it's still going to happen <laughs> yeah. even if it has a cry. So right, both. right. Um, a lot of parents will say, "I don't want my baby to cry if he's sick, or I don't want him to cry if this issue is going on." Like we'll just wait because that's too stressful. Um, to which I would say, actually, like again, those feelings are real and that that cry release can actually help them move through stuff because it will process the emotion so that they can go to the next step. So, um, yeah, if there's a medical concern, then take care of the medical concern. But yeah, absolutely. You don't have to wait until this the scene is perfect. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, essentially, if that's the case, some people might never um, address those issues because in reality is it's like it's never truly perfect it's like okay once you get a handle on one developmental thing or one illness it's like great and then something else is going to happen to where it's just it's just the nature of development and and life so if you truly wait for the perfect moment it might never happen (laughs) spoiler alert (laughs) Um, well, I know we're about at about an hour and a half here and we've got a ton of good stuff. I know we have some more questions on toddlers, um, but I really do think it would be great to have you back on to discuss just 
that age group and the unique challenges for that, if you'd be willing to come back on. Yes, I'd love to. Okay, great. <laughs> so we have got you on record as saying you're going to come back, which is amazing. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to kind of wrapping it up as far as this episode, the crying in arms and the sleep, um, anything you want to kind of put before we say goodbye, just to kind of close it all up? Yeah, let's zoom out again, okay. because I like to like hold all the bring it all back at one time yes Um, yeah so so this approach I hope will help bring people not just insight and clarity in the moment for a challenge or for just even how to set up healthy communication in general but also to understand how habits develop in the first place so it's like Yes, it's an approach to the challenges that you're having, but it's also a way to set things up before the habits start. So it's kind of like if if you can look at what's happening and see how it developed in the first place, you have like so much more perspective on like understanding your child, a window into just the whole range. So yeah, it's not just about a solution, but like how, how it happened in the first place. Um, and then also just, yeah, about looking at underlying needs and honest relationship and being real with what's happening under that crying or the sleep challenges. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, thank you for, I know a lot of listeners are going to be really grateful for this. Um, it's going to go live, um, right. Probably about a really good time for a lot of people during the holidays where anxiety, tension, stress, you know, and not all necessarily even bad stress. It's like, you know, good stress. It's like things that are positive are happening, but maybe out of the normal that might, might trigger some of these instances where, now that we that you've kind of enlightened us a little bit we can look at them in a more positive way whereas if our kids are throwing quote-unquote tantrums it's not that they're they're being bad kids it's like they need to release some of this tension that they're feeling even even if like you said it's like they got to go see santa and it was like all these kids running around and to you it's like they should be happy um but it's it still can be stressful you know so um, I think that'll be super helpful. I would also say during this holiday season for for folks, watch, like take this opportunity to observe how your parents and your partner's parents interact with your baby because mm-hmm. that will give you so many clues. Even if like whether you've been doing aware parenting or you want to start it or you're just curious about it and don't know yet, like whatever, watch how you and your partner's parents interact because that will give us that will give you clues to how you were raised which gives you clues to your response and your baby's cry mm-hmm. and it just like it can help complete the loop so that would be very informative that's instead of the research little science experiment oh and i meant to ask you this earlier we're talking about this in relation to i mean from our perspective what the mom is doing right like it 
I think we kind of default to like, this is going to be the mom, like holding the baby and all of this stuff. Yeah, I, but I feel like this is such a great time where your partner, because it's not about nursing. It's not about an, any of the needs that only you as a mother can provide for your baby. It's about being there for the emotional release. And anyone can do that, right? I mean, a partner, uh, yeah. your, you know, your husband, your, if you have two moms or two dads or whatever, um, I think this is a great opportunity for dads to get involved or partners to get involved. I'm really glad you brought that up. I completely missed that. Yeah. So dads slash partners um, can be key in this. Um, there are, and I'll, uh, 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 when there's, when there's a nursing pattern, dads can be, or partners can be key also because, um, yeah, to help kind of break up the nursing habit because that can be, you know, your baby can just automatically not cry with a mom mm-hmm. waiting for being nursed. But yeah, that's another layer. But yes, definitely a family opportunity and an opportunity for parents to get on the same page about this stuff because children learn, children understand people. Right pick up on things and this is especially one area where they can eventually start interacting differently with each parent based on the parent's comfort with their crying oh, so right totally I, I i see that with my own kids and uh it's funny that you say that i know we're again we're going off topic but <laughs> it's when you think about babies who don't have they don't have all these like layers or maybe walls or guards up as in terms of like their reactions it's like a very intuitive like they're very sensitive to things because they don't have social cues or you know what I mean like they are not already taught like to view things a certain way it's just the way that they're like you say they're very intuitive they're very sensitive they can pick up on things because they just they don't have what's the word I'm looking for um they haven't filtered yes they don't have a filter yet in that in that way which is so fascinating because it's like the older they get the more they are told like even if you feel like maybe a little uncomfortable with this person or you know you're feeling things about this person you can't behave like you're uncomfortable like you need to be polite and you need to give people hugs and that's another thing with the holidays it's like I never make my kids give somebody a hug like even if it's like a family member or like I never say you have to kiss so and so before we leave because it's like yeah they don't want they're not comfortable they don't know second cousin from like Oklahoma or whatever well, <laughs> like, this is a whole nother podcast but then there's the question of teaching submission all right exactly and that gets that can get dangerous yeah yeah <laughs> again going off on but it's I feel like it's all just interrelated because it, you it, are setting up this from an early perspective by practicing yeah. some of these aware but, parenting techniques Actually, that's a really great way to zoom out also because what we're doing, the big picture, like you said, is to to help them stay connected to their gut feelings mm-hmm. and trust their own responses mm-hmm. throughout their lives. But the way that looks with a baby is allowing them to cry in arms. Right. Um, yeah, very directly linked. Beautiful. I love it. On that note, (laughs) 
mamas and dads and partners go out and change the world start implementing some of this stuff i know um you know it's it seems hard because of where we've all been and our own preconceived discomfort with with crying and stuff but i know laura can certainly attest to you know practicing practicing this early on and how much of an impact it's made on her relationship with Evie um, and even me now pr- starting to implement it later um, it's it's already made such a big big difference with with me and my kids so um, and also just throwing this out there if you can't think of something to get yourself for Christmas or if people are asking you you know what you want you can't think of anything I feel like uh, and Eliza correct me if I'm wrong you work with parents one-on-one and I think if you're maybe struggling with something like this in your in your life with your kiddos um, this would be a great gift honestly like it's something that will impact you forever you can work one-on-one with Eliza um, so think about that I know where can we find you if someone's interested in kind of looking into that or if they want to shoot like a family member or a link be like hey <laughs> this would be a great gift <laughs> I am at consciousbaby.com okay. baby.com and I'm on Facebook too um and I work mostly zero to two, up to two and a half-ish. Um, and yeah, Skype sessions online, also in person, if anyone happens to be in Austin, Texas, or around Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, when I'm there. Um, I someday will offer online classes. So um, I have an email list you can sign up for. I always offer an initial chat with um, people who want to work with me or want to get more information mm-hmm. uh, so that I can hear more about your challenge and you can hear from me. So contact me. Don't hesitate to reach out. Um, yeah, especially if you're having a gut feeling or a challenge. And also... Um, and also for two, kind of two reasons. One, if you want to just build up foundations from the beginning, if you're an expectant parent or with a newborn, or if you're having challenges, either way yeah. um, is a great time to reach out. Um, and then also I want to give a shout out to Liz Wolf's upcoming Baby Making and Beyond project, which yes. is exciting, which I will be on there too. So we've got some info coming out soon. She's going to have a light program coming out soon so we are so excited both laura and i are actually um contributing in small capacities to that program as well um and so we are super super pumped and i know it's been a long time um coming and a very necessary program and i'm so glad that you're actually going to be sharing some of your knowledge on that as well um it is going to be amazing you guys need to get ready it's coming soon (laughs) just a little teaser there for you guys (laughs) Um, and then last thing so Aletha Salter, the information about aware parenting, the author is Aletha Salter. I highly recommend her books, The Aware Baby. Um, and then she has four others. I believe there's a total of five. Um, she's at awareparenting.com. She's got articles on her website. I'm at consciousbaby.com. I have some articles on my site, some blog posts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where you can go. Awesome. Okay. And as always, you can find us um, 
I'm Jess at Hold the Space on Instagram, and Laura is laura.radicalroots on Instagram, and our respective websites, holdthespacewellness.com and myradicalroots.com. Um, you can always email with questions or ideas or, you know, just if you want to chat, email us at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com. You can also, I feel like I just have to name all this about, you can also find us on Facebook at the Modern Mamas Tribe, where we have a really amazing community of uh, mamas, parents, dads, um, sharing, you know, their experiences and helping each other. So it's pretty amazing. Um, and as always, um, if you like what you are listening to, if you really enjoy being with us every week, rate us and write us a review on iTunes. We really, really appreciate it. But until next time, we will certainly have Eliza back on. Um, We will see you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Jess here. Just wanted to give you the heads up on a great deal that we don't want you to miss out on. Laura and I have recently teamed up with our friends at ButcherBox to bring you an amazing offer on premium grass-fed, hormone, and antibiotic-free meats delivered right to your door. We've absolutely been loving the opportunity to put together our own custom boxes of the highest quality beef, pork, and chicken. And we definitely don't want you guys to miss out on the chance to try it too. Right now, if you visit butcherbox.com forward slash modern mamas, you get the chance to get $10 off of your first box, plus two free 10-ounce grass-fed ribeyes. You definitely don't want to miss out on this deal, friends, so get on it.